Welcome to Catholic Light. Join me, Becca Doherty, each week as we shed a little light while keeping the conversation light. Hi, and welcome back to Catholic Light. On this week's episode, we'll read through paragraphs 26 through 73 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and then we'll discuss our belief in a God of revelation. Part 1, The Profession of Faith. Section 1, I Believe, We Believe. We begin our profession of faith by saying, I believe or we believe. Before expounding the Church's faith, as confessed in the Creed, celebrated in the liturgy, and lived in observance of God's commandments and in prayer, we must first ask what to believe means. Faith is man's response to God, who reveals himself and gives himself to man, at the same time bringing man a superabundant light as he searches for the ultimate meaning of his life. Thus we shall consider first that search in chapter 1, then the divine revelation by which God comes to meet man in chapter 2, and finally, the response of faith in chapter 3. Chapter 1, Man's Capacity for God. The Desire for God. The desire for God is written in the human heart because man is created by God and for God, and God never ceases to draw man to himself. Only in God will he find the truth and happiness he never stops searching for. The dignity of man rests above all on the fact that he is called to communion with God, this invitation to converse with God is addressed to man as soon as he comes into being. For if man exists, it is because God has created him through love, and through love continues to hold him in existence. He cannot live fully according to truth unless he freely acknowledges that love and entrusts himself to his creator. In many ways throughout history down to the present day, men have given expression to their quest for God in their religious beliefs and behavior, in their prayers, sacrifices, rituals, meditations, and so forth. These forms of religious expression, despite the ambiguities they often bring with them, are so universal that one may well call man a religious being. From one ancestor, God made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. But this intimate and vital bond of man to God can be forgotten, overlooked, or even explicitly rejected by man. Such attitudes can have different causes. Revolt against evil in the world, religious ignorance or indifference, the cares and riches of this world, the scandal of bad example on the part of believers, currents of thought hostile to religion. Finally, that attitude of sinful man which makes him hide from God out of fear and flee his call. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Although man can forget God or reject him, he never ceases to call every man to seek him so as to find life and happiness. But this search for God demands of man every effort of intellect, a sound will, an upright heart, as well as the witness of others who teach him to seek God. You are great, O Lord, and greatly to be praised. Great is your power and your wisdom is without measure. And man, so small a part of your creation, wants to praise you. This man, though clothed with mortality and bearing the evidence of sin and the proof that you withstand the proud, 
Despite everything, man, though but a small part of your creation, wants to praise you. You yourself encourage him to delight in your praise. For you have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Ways of Coming to Know God Created in God's image and called to know and love him, the person who seeks God discovers certain ways of coming to know him. These are also called proofs for the existence of God, not in the sense of proofs in the natural sciences, but rather in the sense of converging and convincing arguments, which allow us to attain certainty about the truth. These ways of approaching God from creation have a twofold point of departure, the physical world and the human person. First, the world. Starting from movement, becoming, contingency, and the world's order and beauty, one can come to a knowledge of God as the origin and the end of the universe. As St. Paul says of the Gentiles, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. And St. Augustine issues this challenge. Question the beauty of the earth. Question the beauty of the sea. Question the beauty of the air distending and diffusing itself. Question the beauty of the sky. Question all these realities. All respond, see, we are beautiful. Their beauty is a profession, a confessio. These beauties are subject to change. Who made them if not the beautiful one who is not subject to change? Secondly, the human person. With his openness to truth and beauty, his sense of moral goodness, his freedom and the voice of his conscience, with his longings for the infinite and for happiness, man questions himself about God's existence. In all this, he discerns signs of his spiritual soul. The soul, the seed of eternity we bear in ourselves, irreducible to the merely material, can have its origin only in God. The world and man attest that they contain within themselves neither their first principle nor their final end, but rather that they participate in being itself, which alone is without origin or end. Thus, in different ways, man can come to know that there exists a reality which is the first cause and final end of all things a reality that everyone calls God. Man's faculties make him capable of coming to a knowledge of the existence of a personal God. But for man to be able to enter into real intimacy with him, God willed both to reveal himself to man and to give him the grace of being able to welcome this revelation in faith. The proofs of God's existence, however, can predispose one to faith and help one to see that faith is not opposed to reason. The Knowledge of God According to the Church Our Holy Mother, the Church, holds and teaches that God, the first principle and last end of all things, can be known with certainty from the created world by the natural light of human reason. Without this capacity, God would not be able to welcome God's revelation. Man has this capacity because he is created in the image of God. In the historical conditions in which he finds himself, however, Man experiences many difficulties in coming to know God by the light of reason alone. Though human reason is, strictly speaking, truly capable by its own natural power and light of attaining to a true and certain knowledge of the one personal God, who watches over and controls the world by his providence, and of the natural law written in our hearts by the Creator, yet there are many obstacles which prevent reason from the effective and fruitful use of this inborn faculty. 
For the truths that concern the relations between God and man wholly transcend the visible order of things. And if they are translated into human action and influence it, they call for self-surrender and abnegation. The human mind, in its turn, is hampered in the attaining of such truths, not only by the impact of the senses and the imagination, but also by disordered appetites, which are the consequences of original sin. So it happens that men in such matters easily persuade themselves that what they would not like to be true is false, or at least doubtful. This is why man stands in need of being enlightened by God's revelation, not only about those things that exceed his understanding, but also about those religious and moral truths, which of themselves are not beyond the grasp of human reason. So that even in the present condition of the human race, they can be known by all men with ease, with firm certainty, and with no admixture of error. How can we speak about God? In defending the ability of human reason to know God, the Church is expressing her confidence in the possibility of speaking about him to all men and with all men, and therefore of dialogue with other religions, with philosophy and science, as well as with unbelievers and atheists. Since our knowledge of God is limited, our language about him is equally so. We can name God only by taking creatures as our starting point, and in accordance with our limited human ways of knowing and thinking. All creatures bear a certain resemblance to God, most especially man, created in the image and likeness of God. The manifold perfections of creatures, their truth, their goodness, their beauty, all reflect the infinite perfection of God. Consequently, we can name God by taking his creatures' perfections as our starting point. For from the greatness and beauty of created things comes a corresponding perception of their creator. God transcends all creatures. We must therefore continually purify our language of everything in it that is limited, image-bound, or imperfect, if we are not to confuse our image of God, the inexpressible, the incomprehensible, the invisible, the ungraspable, with our human representations. Our human words always fall short of the mystery of God. Admittedly, in speaking about God like this, our language is using human modes of expression. Nevertheless, it really does attain to God himself, though unable to express him in his infinite simplicity. Likewise, we must recall that between creator and creature, no similitude can be expressed without implying an even greater dissimilitude, and that concerning God, we cannot grasp what he is, but only what he is not, and how other beings stand in relation to him. In brief, man is by nature and vocation a religious being. Coming from God, going toward God, man lives a fully human life only if he freely lives by his bond with God. Man is made to live in communion with God in whom he finds happiness. When I am completely united to you, there will be no more sorrow or trials. Entirely full of you, my life will be complete, says St. Augustine. When he listens to the message of creation and to the voice of conscience, man can arrive at certainty about the existence of God, the cause and the end of everything. The church teaches that the one true God, our creator and Lord, can be known with certainty from his works by the natural light of human reason. We really can name God, starting from the manifold perfections of his creatures, which are likenesses of the infinitely perfect God, even if our limited language cannot exhaust the mystery. Without the creator, the creature vanishes. 
This is the reason why believers know that the love of Christ urges them to bring the light of the living God to those who do not know him or who reject him. Chapter 2, God Comes to Meet Man By natural reason, man can know God with certainty on the basis of his works. But there is another order of knowledge which man cannot possibly arrive at by his own powers, the order of divine revelation. Through an utterly free decision, God has revealed himself and given himself to man. This he does by revealing the mystery, his plan of loving goodness, formed from all eternity in Christ for the benefit of all men. God has fully revealed this plan by sending us his beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Article 1, The Revelation of God. God Reveals His Plan of Loving Goodness. It pleased God in his goodness and wisdom to reveal himself and to make known the mystery of his will. His will was that men should have access to the Father through Christ, the Word made flesh, in the Holy Spirit, and thus become sharers in the divine nature. God, who dwells in unapproachable light, wants to communicate his own divine life to the men he freely created, in order to adopt them as his sons in his only begotten son. By revealing himself, God wishes to make them capable of responding to him and of knowing him and of loving him far beyond their own natural capacity. The divine plan of revelation is realized simultaneously by deeds and words which are intrinsically bound up with each other and shed light on each other. It involves a specific divine pedagogy. God communicates himself to man gradually. He prepares him to welcome by stages the supernatural revelation that is to culminate in the person and mission of the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. St. Irenaeus of Lyon repeatedly speaks of this divine pedagogy using the image of God and man becoming accustomed to one another. The word of God dwelt in man and became the son of man in order to accustom man to perceive God and to accustom God to dwell in man according to the Father's pleasure. The Stages of Revelation In the beginning, God makes himself known. God, who creates and conserves all things by his word, provides men with constant evidence of himself in created realities. And furthermore, wishing to open up the way to heavenly salvation, he manifested himself to our first parents from the very beginning. He invited them to intimate communion with himself and clothed them with resplendent grace and justice. This revelation was not broken off by our first parents' sin. After the fall, God buoyed them up with the hope of salvation by promising redemption, and he has never ceased to show his solicitude for the human race, for he wishes to give eternal life to all those who seek salvation by patience in well-doing. Even when he disobeyed you and lost your friendship, you did not abandon him to the power of death. Again and again, you offered a covenant to man. The Covenant with Noah After the unity of the human race was shattered by sin, God at once sought to save humanity part by part. The covenant with Noah after the flood gives expression to the principle of the divine economy towards the nations. In other words, toward men grouped in their lands, each with its own language by their families in their nations. This state of division into many nations is at once cosmic, social, and religious. It is intended to limit the pride of fallen humanity, united only in its perverse ambition to forge its own unity as at Babel. But because of sin, both polytheism and the idolatry of the nation and of its rulers constantly threaten this provisional economy with the perversion of paganism. 
The covenant with Noah remains in force during the times of the Gentiles until the universal proclamation of the gospel. The Bible venerates several great figures among the Gentiles, Abel the just, the king priest Melchizedek, a figure of Christ, and the upright Noah, Daniel, and Job. Scripture thus expresses the heights of sanctity that can be reached by those who live according to the covenant of Noah, waiting for Christ to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. God chooses Abraham. In order to gather together scattered humanity, God calls Abram from his country, his kindred, and his father's house, and makes him Abraham, that is, the father of a multitude of nations. In you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. The people descended from Abraham would be the trustees of the promise made to the patriarchs, the chosen people, called to prepare for that day when God would gather all his children into the unity of the church. They would be the root onto which the Gentiles would be grafted once they came to believe. The patriarchs, prophets, and certain other Old Testament figures have been and always will be honored as saints in all the church's liturgical traditions. God forms his people Israel. After the patriarchs, God formed Israel as his people by freeing them from slavery in Egypt. He established with them the covenant of Mount Sinai and through Moses gave them his law so that they would recognize him and serve him as the one living and true God, the provident father and just judge, and so that they would look for the promised savior. Israel is the priestly people of God, called by the name of the Lord, and thus the first to hear the word of God, the people of elder brethren in the faith of Abraham. Through the prophets, God forms his people in the hope of salvation, in the expectation of a new and everlasting covenant intended for all to be written on their hearts. The prophets proclaim a radical redemption of the people of God, purification from all their infidelities, a salvation which will include all the nations. Above all, the poor and humble of the Lord will bear this hope. Such holy women as Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Miriam, Deborah, Hannah, Judith, and Esther kept alive the hope of Israel's salvation. The purest figure among them is Mary. Christ Jesus, mediator and fullness of all revelation. God has said everything in his word. In many and various ways, God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son. Christ, the son of God made man, is the father's one perfect and unsurpassable word. In him, he has said everything. There will be no other word than this one. St. John of the Cross, among others, commented strikingly on Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. In giving us his son, his only word, for he possesses no other, he spoke everything to us at once in this sole word, and he has no more to say. Because what he spoke before to the prophets and parts, he has now spoken all at once by giving us the all who is his son. Any person questioning God or desiring some vision or revelation would be guilty not only of foolish behavior, but also of offending him by not fixing his eyes entirely upon Christ and by living with the desire for some other novelty. There will be no further revelation. The Christian economy, therefore, since it is the new and definitive covenant, will never pass away, and no new public revelation is to be expected before the glorious manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yet even if revelation is already complete, it has not been made completely explicit. It remains for Christian faith gradually to grasp its full significance over the course of the centuries. Throughout the ages, there have been so-called private revelations, some of which have been recognized by the authority of the church. They do not, however, belong to the deposit of faith, 
It is not their role to improve or complete Christ's definitive revelation, but to help live more fully by it in a certain period of history. Guided by the magisterium of the church, the census fidelium knows how to discern and welcome in these revelations whatever constitutes an authentic call of Christ or his saints to the church. Christian faith cannot accept revelations that claim to surpass or correct the revelation of which Christ is the fulfillment. As is the case in certain non-Christian religions and also in certain recent sects which base themselves on such revelations. In brief, by love, God has revealed himself and given himself to man. He has thus provided the definitive, superabundant answer to the questions that man asks himself about the meaning and purpose of his life. God has revealed himself to man by gradually communicating his own mystery in deeds and in words. Beyond the witness to himself that God gives in created things, he manifests himself to our first parents, spoke to them, and after the fall promised them salvation and offered them his covenant. God made an everlasting covenant with Noah and with all living beings. It will remain in force as long as the world lasts. God chose Abraham and made a covenant with him and his descendants. By the covenant, God formed his people and revealed his law to them through Moses. Through the prophets, he prepared them to accept the salvation destined for all humanity. God has revealed himself fully by sending his own son, in whom he has established his covenant forever. The son is his father's definitive word, so there will be no further revelation after him. This brings us to the end of our reading of the Catechism of the Catholic Church for this week. We'll take a brief break and then discuss some of what we've just read. You are listening to Catholic Light. Thank you for joining me each week as we read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and discuss some of its beautiful teachings. Hi, and welcome back. We'll discuss in the second half of the episode a line from Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 50, which reads, Through an utterly free decision, God has revealed himself and given himself to man. Through an utterly free decision, God has revealed himself and given himself to man. Just like God did not have to create, as we talked about in a previous episode, God does not have to reveal himself to us. He could have remained in his blessed perfection, could have remained Father, Son, Holy Spirit, giving and receiving love within the Trinity. Or he could have created and then gone on for eternity, enjoying that blessed perfection of the Trinity. So he could have created and then withdrawn back into himself. Uh, this is actually a common belief, was very common among the founding fathers of America who were deists. Uh, deism is the belief that God is like a clockmaker who creates a clock, gets it ticking, and then sets it on the shelf to run on its own. The clockmaker steps back and then doesn't really interact with that clock. Uh, God could have withdrawn into himself uh, in a Wizard of Oz-like existence. So again, he could have created, but then removed himself from creation, periodically pulling levers, moving parts to try to get us to do what he wants. It kind of makes sense. Okay, God, who is infinitely perfect and blessed, could have generously created creation and then returned back to his infinite perfection and blessedness. Logically, God does not owe us anything. Okay, he doesn't have to stick around. But he does. 
Okay, he reveals himself to us uh, in two ways, through scripture and tradition. More on the specifics of this in a future episode. God reveals himself in these two ways gradually over time. So God, who is good, shares himself first in creating and then in showing us who he is. He very kindly does this gradually over time so that we're not overwhelmed. So he does this in a very gentle and gradual way to basically help us get it. From the beauty of creation, so if we never encountered Christianity or the revelation that comes to us through various Christian faiths, we could look around at the beauty and awesomeness of creation and get some sense of the creator. Okay, we could get some sense of, of who God is. So everything from Glacier National Park to the giraffe with its long and incredibly cool neck to the expansiveness of the Milky Way, God reveals himself through his creation. Um, many years ago, my brother and I had this incredible opportunity to take a five-week road trip around the, the U.S. where we visited and camped and, and hiked in various national parks. And I don't think I'll ever forget this one hike in Glacier National Park where we, we hiked to the summit of a mountain. It was a beautiful day in the middle of the, the summer. And I turned around and just looked at this incredible landscape and I didn't know whether to be silent or to scream or to take a picture or to just sit there and soak it all in. It was so incredibly magnificent and beautiful that it inherently pointed to someone or something else who created it. So God reveals himself in and through the beauty of creation. As we just read in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, he then revealed himself more explicitly through time to his people. So through his covenant with Noah, his covenant with Abraham, through his giving of the Ten Commandments to his people through Moses, through continuing to speak to them, through the prophets again and again, calling the chosen people back to himself. And then eventually this revelation culminated in God sending his beloved son, Jesus Christ. Or we could say in Jesus Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity, uh, taking on human flesh and stepping into our timeline. God fully reveals himself to us so that we can literally look at the face of God. We can literally see the face of life and love. That line from Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 50, uh, ends by saying, God has given himself to man. Okay, so God shows us himself and God who is goodness, God who is truth, who is beauty, who is life and love, shows us what love looks like. It's a giving of oneself, a giving of one's very self. C.S. Lewis, who's a popular Christian author, prolific uh, author, known for works such as The Chronicles of Narnia, Mere Christianity, writes in his book, The Four Loves, this on love. He says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. 
It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. I quote this line because uh, I think it beautifully illustrates a uh, dimension of God's love. God could have chosen first not to create. He could have chosen not to reveal himself, and he certainly could have chosen not to come to earth or to send his only son to earth to suffer and die for us. But he does. In another sense, he couldn't have done otherwise because God is love. God is literally love itself, and to love is to will the good of the other. What's the good of each and every one of us? To be in relationship with God with goodness, life, love, truth, beauty itself. So what does God do? He gives himself, his very self, to man. He who is goodness itself gives that goodness to each of us. I mentioned in the first episode that the catechism is good not only for learning about God, but it's great too for providing points of reflection or nuggets for prayerful contemplation. And here's one that I like to think about. God, who is outside of time and space, knew before he made a single dimension of creation that we would rebel and turn from him. He also knew that he would take on human flesh, enter into our human timeline, suffer and die for us, and still we would rebel and turn from him. I don't know about you, but if I were God, I might rethink creation and I certainly might think the redemption of the human race, but not God. Through, as the Catechism says, an utterly free decision, God has revealed himself and given himself to man. He shows us who he is. So he, as C.S. Lewis describes, is vulnerable, willing to be heartbroken. He entangles himself with us. And rather than playing it safe and selfish, he boldly, recklessly gives himself away. God reveals himself to man so that we may come to know and love him and so that as Gaudium et Spes, one of the documents that came out of the Second Vatican Council, says in paragraph 22, God came to fully reveal man to himself and make his supreme calling clear. So Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God himself, enters our human timeline to reveal man to himself. So God not only reveals himself to us, but he reveals us to ourselves and makes our supreme calling clear. What's that calling? Happiness. How do we get there? Consult the manuals provided by the creator of human beings. So God creates us, he knows how we work and what we're made for, and he helps us to get there. Oftentimes we think that we know better, that there's a shortcut, there's a different way. And that's the original sin, okay? That there's a better way than God's way. Sometimes we think, Maybe God's holding out on me. Maybe he just didn't think of this one little thing. Uh, spoiler alert, he's not only not holding out on you. Okay, just take a look at any crucifix. And he did think of that one little thing. In fact, he thought of a million others that I couldn't possibly think of myself. Over the years, I've had students say, well, that doesn't seem very fair that I have to suffer the effects of original sin when I wasn't even in the Garden of Eden. Okay, Adam and Eve messed up. I didn't. Besides, if I were there, I would have done things differently. Oh, really? Because I just watched you cheat on a theology exam last week, and I just watched you copy your friend's math homework 
during lunch in the cafeteria, and I just saw you smooching a girl in the hallway while you're supposedly dating someone else. Cue Jesus's voice from heaven. <clears throat> uh, Miss Rebecca, theology teacher, want to take that beam out of your own eye while you uh, criticize the little splinters in your students' eyes. Sorry, Lord, you're right. Instead of watching back-to-back -back episodes of The Bachelor while drinking a couple glasses of wine last night, I guess I could have done something a little more productive with my time. Maybe I would have chosen the more selfish path in Eden, were I there, the more selfish or easy path. Okay, so uh, Adam and Eve, who stand in for first man and first woman, um, they choose on our behalf, and so we are all connected to that choice. God reveals that while the path of ease, the path of least resistance, the path of selfishness and comfort might be delightful for a moment, uh, it's not as gratifying and fulfilling in the end. Why? Because we are made for more. We are made to give ourselves away. And in doing that, we achieve our goal, our end, our purpose of being human. So put a printer in water and it won't achieve its goal, its purpose, its end of printing paper. Live out your humanity selfishly and you won't achieve your goal, your purpose, your end of happiness. Jesus says you can live your humanity selfishly if you want, but don't be surprised if it doesn't work out. I heard a priest preach in a homily once, if you're ever wondering if the Catholic faith is right, or if you're ever wondering if Jesus's teachings work out, just pick one and put it into practice. So forgive an enemy, see how it works out for you. Pray for someone who's being awful to you and see how that pans out. Go to confession and see if in unburdening yourself to a priest and then hearing the words, go now, your sins are forgiven, that that works out for you. See if there's a little more peace in your life, a little less angst and frustration. We don't get all of the answers up front. Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 53 says, God communicates himself to man gradually. God could have come to earth and laid out his plan and how it would all work out, uh, for the world and for each of us individually in an instant. He could have made it a lightning bolt moment, a clear and concise snapshot by which we get to see the full picture from A to Z and could potentially kick back and say, oh, I get it. Ah, yes, I can sign up for that. God could have done that, okay, but he doesn't. When Jesus comes to earth, he simply says to his disciples, come, follow me. And in walking with Christ step by step, they come to see. Ah, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You can perform miracles. You can forgive sins. You can pe heal people who have been sick and suffering for years and who have spent all that they have trying to fix this. They learn from him by watching him, by living life side by side with him. So they watch him pray. They see how he interacts with, interacts with tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners of all shapes and sizes. This is how God teaches. This is how God reveals. This is the divine pedagogy or God's method of teaching. He never forces or imposes because that's not love. He only proposes or invites. He draws us in in such a compelling and alluring and wonderful way. And while he does this, questions will naturally arise. Okay, that's fine. Bring them to him. God is not afraid of your questions, and God is not put off by your doubts. So as we walk with him, and you start to wonder about certain things or question, does this make sense? Why does the church teach this? Just bring it before the Lord. Talk to him about it.
over the years I had students who were a little timid or afraid to ask questions um, who felt that they might be disrespectful challenging the Catholic faith. I also had a few students who had absolutely no compunctions bringing up their questions and doubts and disagreements in class. I had one student, I don't think I'll ever forget, Spencer, who would ask at least one question and sometimes more each day. Sometimes they were related to the topic at hand and sometimes they were completely unrelated. I enjoyed it because it often led to good class discussions. And like I said in the first episode, I'm a Catholic nerd, so I love chatting about all things Jesus and the Catholic faith. Well, one day, Spencer just kept raising question after question after question. I'd answer each one, I thought, in a pretty concise and uh, compelling way, but the questions just kept coming. So a little exasperated at one point, I said, Spencer, what do you do? Prepare questions each day to bring to class to see if I can answer them? He goes, oh, no, 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 I don't prepare them. I just check out stumpmytheologyteacher.com every day before I come to class. <laughs> well, God who works through all things is working through your stumpmytheologyteacher.com uh, website and uh, has provided some fruitful questions and uh, answers. However, a lot of my students thought, well, if this is theology class and this is God we're talking about, I don't think I should ask or question or challenge the Catholic faith. And I would tell them, hey, you're in good company. Okay, if you have questions and doubts, you come from a long line of questioners and doubters who are faithful to the Lord. When the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, behold, you will conceive and bear the Son of God, what's her response? How can this be? You're going to do what now, Lord? You want me to do what? So she questions, she doubts, she wonders, um, how exactly is this going to work out? God could have said, oh, don't worry, Mary. People will completely and totally misunderstand you at first. Joseph is going to be on the verge of divorcing you. You're going to give birth without an epidural in a stinky little manger surrounded by sheep and cows. And then after things calm down a bit, uh, you'll get to enjoy your son's childhood, the calm and bright existence of day-to-day -day and quiet life in Nazareth. But then your precious son will be publicly humiliated, arrested, tortured, and killed. But don't worry. He'll rise from the dead. He's going to save humanity from their sin. He's going to ascend into heaven. And then he's going to assume you into heaven and crown you queen of heaven and earth. All good, right? Uh, God could have done that. He could have laid it out for the Blessed Mother so it was easier for her to take in the whole picture and say yes. But he doesn't. He reveals his plan gradually, step by step, and invites us to walk with him. Oftentimes, we expect the full picture to be presented to us. Okay, Lord, lay it out for me so I know it works out in the end. If I have to suffer, at least let me know that it's going to be okay. Another spoiler alert. Number one, you will suffer. Number two, it will work out in the end. Christ has already won. Okay, he's already triumphed over sin and death, and he saved us, and now it's up to us to use our free will to cooperate with him. And he's trustworthy. Why? Because he's God, so he's capable, and because he loves us. So remember back to Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph one. God, infinitely perfect and blessed in himself, in a plan of sheer goodness, freely created man to make him share in his own blessed life. God has revealed himself over time throughout history to his people because he loves us, and he wants us to be in relationship with him so that we can enjoy the goodness that he enjoys in himself, so that we can be happy.
As we walk with him, he continues to reveal himself and his plan for each of us. So ask him your questions, express your doubts. He's not afraid of them. And if he's the truth, you'll get your answers. Next week, we're going to read Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 74 through 119, and we'll discuss what's known as the tripod of truth. God, who is outside of time and space and knew that the message, the good news, his divine revelation, could potentially get misconstrued or lost in translation through the centuries, he sets up for us this fail-safe relationship to ensure that his truth would be handed on from generation to generation to generation without error. So he sets up this system to make sure that I, Rebecca Doherty, in 2022, get the same divine revelation, the same truth that he imparted to his disciples back in the year 30, years 30 to 33. Okay, pretty amazing. So please join me next week and we'll discuss how God in his loving plan for each and every one of us gives us the truth, truth and nothing but the truth. Thanks for joining me and God bless you. Thanks for joining me this week on Catholic Light. Be sure to like, subscribe and share this podcast with your family and your friends and connect with me through Facebook and Instagram. I'll see you next week, and in the meantime, God bless you.